All right, I'm going to invite up Craig Hill, uh, and he's going to be sharing about grace. Thanks, uh, If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Yeah, we decided to make it difficult for church this morning. Uh, we thought maybe um, to pole vault you in, to figure if you could pole vault, but we thought maybe that would be a little over the top. See? All right, all right. Maybe we try this again. All right. Matthew... Just stick to the passage, Hill. Uh, Matthew 20. Tough crowd. OC Marathon Day. Uh, And if you would, (laughs) if you would, um, in honor of God and his word, stand for the reading of God's word. All right, Matthew 20 and verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went, going out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those who hired first came, they thought they would also receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last ones worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day as well as the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is God's word. You may have a seat. So this morning we come to a parable, um, a kingdom parable. We see these in the Gospel of Matthew often, starting in chapter 13. And Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God using a parable. And he's talking about, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like, he's asking the question, what are the characteristic ways that God rules and God reigns? What is the kingdom of God like? What are the sensibilities that God has when God rules his people. And also to add to this, as we look at this parable, one other question we can uh, discern or we can ask about this parable or what this parable brings up is what are some of the characteristic ways or tensions that people of faith who call themselves the citizens of the kingdom of God, what are some of the characteristic tensions that we might encounter in that particular rule or reign. 
And Jesus chooses to illustrate these sensibilities of God and these tensions of us by telling a story about a man who goes out and hires day laborers. And so our parable today, we find out that the grace of God, or that the, the kingdom of God, is a place of grace and generosity, and that grace and generosity have certain characteristic effects on people. On the one hand, God's grace and blessing can be felt as amazing and can leave us speechless and surprised and, and with, with a sense of joy and anticipation. Unearned blessing flowing out of God's love directed at me, and I feel it, and it's amazing to me. While at the same time we find in this parable that God's grace and blessing can at times disturb us. We don't have a hymn called Disturbing Grace, though, do we? But at the same time, we know that God's generosity, an open pocketbook to someone that we feel does not necessarily deserve it or has not earned it, can in times bring out in us what in the ancient world they called the evil eye, envy. And so let's take a look at this parable and just see what God has for us as we think about ourselves under the rule and reign of God and what sort of a life does that produce in us as maturing believers. So Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Going back, look, part of what we have to do here when we read the Bible is we go across continents and we go across time and we go back and we have to see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling a story which would have painted a picture easily in the eyes of the people hearing it, but for us removed from that continent, that land, that time period, we have to rebuild this story. And so he tells a story about an, a, a, a landowner who has a, a vineyard, a field, and it could be harvest time where the, the grapes are ripe and they're ready to harvest these wine grapes. They didn't really have table grapes back in those days. They had grapes for wine. So maybe it's time to harvest the wine. Or maybe he has this piece of land and he needs to develop it into a vineyard. And if he were doing this in the hilly country, he might need to hire people to come and terrace the soil or maybe to build the trellises or maybe to plant the vines or to string up the cord in which the vines are going to go up, or maybe he needed to hire people to dig out the wine press. Maybe he needed to, to hire people to, to build the crates in which they're going to they're um, gather these things, build the wall around, the hedge, the tower. There's a number of things that these people could have been hired for. And so what does he do? He goes down to Home Depot or Lowe's, the text says the marketplace, the agora. He goes down there to secure all the supplies he needs and also to hire laborers for the day. And now this is not that far away from what we experience. If you drive down to Home Depot or Lowe's or a hardware store uh, on, a, on any day of the week, you might find this exact th same thing happening. So he goes down and he hires day laborers. Now, Day laborers in the first century. Um, you had a number of, of kind of social classes in the first century. You had people who owned land, and then you had people who did not own land, and then you had slaves. Slaves were typically attached to landowners, 
But people who were free and did not own land, they were not attached in any kind of a way to a household particularly. Day laborers who were not attached to a household or a landowner were reliant on people who did own land and did have farms to hire them day by day in order to make their living. And because of that, a little economics of the first century, these people were somewhat on the fringes of the economic system of the day. If people who were landed and had a family and drought came or or economic distress hit, they would rely on their own family members to do the work in the fields. And they would ride out whatever famine or whatever economic hardship with the people within their own household. When times were good, family would rest and they would hire the day laborers. So day laborers were people who were, at, who were really on the fringes of society, were one drought away or economic distress away from not getting work and landowners just relying on their own people. In a lot of ways, you think about this, this is a lot of the, of the lot of, say, migrant workers today or people who are standing down at Home Depot or Lowe's looking for a day's worth of work today. They are on the fringes of the economic system. They do not live year to year economically or month to month economically. They live day to day economically. And so when we hear Jesus telling the story, we hear about a very wealthy man who has land and, has, and is developing a vineyard, this is a good time. And he's hiring people that are on the bottom of the social ladder. So that's the image that we need to have. That's the image that Jesus wants his people to hear. So at dawn, early in the morning, he goes down to the marketplace where he would find people expecting to look for work for the day. And he finds some and he strikes a deal with them. Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Some translations might give you the actual amount of this. What is a denarius? A denarius is a day's wage in the ancient world. It was a silver coin in the Roman world, and it was the average daily wage. Now, what is the average daily wage? Now, today in the state of California, minimum wage is $10.50 an hour. And it's supposed to go up. Um, But that's hardly the average wage. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average hourly wage on average is $26 across industries. Okay, $26 an hour. But farm workers, the average hourly wage is $12 to $13 an hour. So a documented day laborer here in California Working on a farm today earns about $100 to $130 a day for an 8 to 10 hour workday. $100 to $130 an hour. So, what he is arguing, what he, the, the deal he strikes with them is one silver coin, a denarius, $130 a day to come and do the work. The agreement is mutually agreeable. The owner of the vineyard, as well as multiple workers. It doesn't say how many, it just says that he hires workers. Now, how many would that be? If you've got a vineyard, how many is that? I don't know. Options. You guys tell me. How many do you think he's going to hire? You're hearing this parable. As many. Okay, how many are that? But let's, let's put a number on it. Five, ten? What do you guys think? Ten, twenty-five? You've got a big vineyard. Come on, look at my vineyard. It's huge. Okay, all right. So here's a guy, 
and he's going out to hire laborers, plural, and he makes this deal, okay? So this man is wealthy. He's got money on hand to pay, which if you think about that, let's say he hires 10 guys. He's got a couple grand just waiting somewhere. So this guy is very wealthy, all right, so he goes out, he hires, let's say, let's say five to 10, maybe 15, one day of work. And the point is that all parties at this point agree that this is mutually beneficial. They agree. This is good. This is a good wage for a good day's work. And so our vineyard owner is off to a good start on his vineyard improvement project. Um, but for some reason, he finds it necessary to revisit the marketplace later that morning. Verse three, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And this is important. Then he says, whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever's right, whatever's fair, whatever's just. Those are all good ways to translate this. Whatever's fair, whatever's just. The third hour, the third hour, because we don't tell time this way, do we? When the sun rises, it's the first hour. We don't do that anymore, right? The third hour is 9 a.m. Sunrise, 6 a.m., The third hour is 9 a.m. And he sees others standing in the marketplace. Now, the implication is not that these people are lazy, okay? The implication is that they're standing there. It's early in the morning. They're still looking for work, but it says that they have nothing to do. Now, the owner of the vineyard seems to think not only does he get the supplies he needs, but he seems to think his project is large enough to justify enlisting work of more laborers. So what does he do? He hires more laborers, plural. How many do you think? Another five. Let's throw another five on that. That's pretty good. So we're up to maybe 15, 20 workers in the fields, maybe. The, again, this, the, the, the hearers of this parable get to fill this in, and that's what we get to do. We fill this in in our own head. It's the beauty of a parable, that it, it invites us to imagination, It invites us to put ourselves into it. And that's one of the beauties of this parable, one of the beauties of the way Jesus teaches, and one of the beauties of even what God invites us to do as we hear this and we hear God's word is to imagine and to invite ourselves, to to hear his invitation in. His agreement with them is that he will give them a fair wage. Now, one denarius is worth, in Roman times, 16 Assyrians. Look, you're like, no extra charge for the money talk here, okay? So... Three quarters of a day, three quarters of the day comes out to 12 Assyrians. That's what would be fair. That's what would be just if you're hired three hours into a working day, okay? They, they say, okay, no problem. It's a proportionate wage, and so they go. Verse five, so they went. Going out again, for some reason, this guy finds it necessary to go back to the marketplace, back to Home Depot. Has anybody experienced that before? Um, <laughs> He goes out about the sixth hour, so he goes out at noon, and then he goes out at the ninth hour, three, and it says literally he does the same thing. So he hires people get promising a fair wage. So at noon, he would expect, uh, he would expect eight Assyrians, and at 3 p.m., you would expect four Assyrians, Okay. So a, a half wage and a quarter wage. That is right, that's just, that's fair. Verse 6, at about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? This time we get a response. They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go to the vineyards too. 
All right. Now, for some reason, he finds a reason to go for a fifth time to the marketplace that day. 5 p.m. Quitting time is at 6 p.m. 5 p.m. It's the 11th hour. This is, this is where we get the phrase, the 11th hour. So he goes out at the 11th hour, at the last minute, at the last hour of the day of work. Now, there's some debate in commentaries about whether these people that are there at 5 p.m. are lazy or whether they just haven't been hired. Um, there's probably, when, when they hear, and you probably have, exp- I mean, even as you hear this, you're like, well, what are these people doing? This guy's been here all day. Where have these guys been? Okay, so there's a little bit of a question, and the, and the original hearers would have thought the same thing. There's probably a mix of this idea that are they lazy or have they just been passed over? And if you think about the world of the day laborer, it is probably the strongest that get chosen first. It's probably those who are best connected and networked. They know. They have a reputation. They have a good reputation. And, and it goes in descending order of strength and character. And maybe those who are left at the end of the day are the ones no one wanted to hire for various reasons either for weakness or for questionable character, or they might have a character flaw, or there might be laziness. We're left to fill in the gaps, and Jesus allows his audience to fill in those gaps. These are the last hour. These are the 11th hour people. But what we need to understand is that at 5 p.m., what the owner of the vineyard finds there are the least, the last, the overlooked and those who have been rejected as they look for work for the day. And his words are emphatic. He says, even you all go into the vineyard. Even you all go into the vineyard. Now, if we're hearing this, there's probably already a little bit of a note of grace. That the, the, day, to, the day-to-day work world of the, of the day laborer that even to get two Assyrians for one hour of work, that's gracious. That's a good, that even if I've been overlooked all day at 5 p.m. to be invited to get a couple of Assyrians, that's good news. Especially if you're on the edge of the economic system. Especially if you're expecting to go home without money for dinner for your family. That's a note of grace. And the, and the hearers would have heard that. But let me just pause on this. 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., five trips to the marketplace, to the Home Depot. If the kingdom of God is like a man who has to go to Home Depot five times in one day, then I am a godly man, okay? I just want to say that, okay? And some of you out there are too, and you need to remind you, the people in your family when you are doing your home improvement project and you've got to make another trip down there and when your car starts up and it goes on autopilot to that spot and you have to find a different checker at the check stand so you won't be embarrassed, okay? Just understand, you are like the owner of the vineyard and if the owner of the vineyard is like God, then you're, li- you're godly, all right? I just want to make sure that that's clear before we do anything else. I don't know why, I think there's some kind of great comfort in knowing that God has to go to the marketplace five times in one day. (sighs) Okay, all right. 
But this is where in verse 8 we get this unexpected twist. We already have a note of grace that the owner of the vineyard has gone at 5 p.m. and he's come back with other, with other workers. But in verse 8, this is when we find out something about the owner of the vineyard. And it's a twist. When Jesus is telling the story, this is when people would have, under, would have started to think, this is, this, is, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now, here's the deal. Your translation probably says, call the laborers and pay them their wages, okay? In Greek, it doesn't say that. It says, call the laborers and pay them the wage, singular. Pay them the wage, He tells the foreman, pay them the one wage, only one. You would expect from our translation that the the foreman would want to figure it out, would have to do the, the math. No, he says, pay them the wage. And this is where we as the readers and Jesus in telling this story would have heard that there is grace, that this owner is is going to do something that is counterintuitive in the ancient world. The people in the parable are going to experience this in various ways. Look at verse 9. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each received a denarius. So the grace and the generosity of the Lord of the vineyard is revealed to us, the reader, to the hearer. And this is where we see the impact of grace. And it's a double-sided, it's a two-sided coin, so to speak. And the first thing that we understand about grace is that grace amazes us. The last come first, and they receive a full day's pay. Those who have been rejected by other employers, who look for work for a short time in the cool of the day, where there are many laborers working alongside them, they all receive a full day's of pay. Now, you you have to understand, this would have been jolting to them. This would have been stunning to them to come at the, at the 11th hour and to walk away with a silver coin denarius would have been absolutely jolting in the world of day laborers where day labor is cheap and, and uh, expendable. Nobody cares about day laborers. They're not attached to anybody. There's no one who can plead their case for them. This is, this is amazing. And I, and I think when, when you experience grace, the real thing, it kind of knocks the words out of your mouth, doesn't it? When you, when you really experience grace, when you, ex, when you experience a surprise, an unexpected gift, an unexpected relationship comes about, she says yes to prom, whatever it is. When there's grace, when there's something that happens, It's Christmas morning and you get something you weren't expecting, but it's more than you could ever imagine. When you get that kind of grace, when there's a buzzer beater, right? When somebody hits last second shot, it's there's no it's either stunned silence or cheers, but there's no explanations. There's no adequate way of saying thank you. Think back to a time when you were really experiencing grace, where it stunned you, and all you could do was kind of stammer your way through it. That's grace. People who explain grace really well probably haven't experienced it because it defies explanation. 
When you are in the middle of a gracious moment, when God surprises you or someone surprises you with an unexpected turn in your favor, it will knock the breath out of you and knock the words out of your mouth. And we don't hear a single word that any of these people say. They just stand there in the middle of this vineyard with a coin in their hand. You're good. You can go. Really? <laughs> Seriously? Just stunned. And that's what grace does. It's, it's, that's why grace is amazing. The real thing, a surprising turn of grace, the unexpected offer of reward or the unexpected offer of forgiveness for things we thought we were disqualified for. That God reopens himself when we thought everything was closed and God opens his arms, that God runs toward us when we thought we were revolting. It's stunning. And it should give us pause to sit down and take a breath and realize God has done something here that ought not to be done in the world of day laborers, in the world of cheap labor. Standing in the middle of a vineyard at 6 p.m. with a denarius in your hand when at 5 there was no dinner for your family. It's kind of like the, the older son in the parable, of the, or the, the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son, when he comes back and he's expecting to be a wage earner and he's expecting maybe exile, he's hoping to be a wage earner, but he's expecting exile and he sits down. The next thing you know, he's got a robe on his back and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and there's a fatted calf that's been killed and they're eating at the dinner table and we don't hear another word from him in the whole parable. Why? Because he's stunned. What can he say? And that's what we see with these 11th hour workers. God is amazing. Grace amazes. And we have wonderful songs about that. But what we don't have is the second part of this, where grace is disturbing, that grace disturbs us. Grace does other things, too. It's amazing when it's directed at us, but we don't often talk openly about what grace does to disturb us when it's directed at other people that we think are particularly unworthy or particularly our rivals or particularly are our enemies. Sorry that you guys are my enemy. I'm just going, working, working the crowd here. Uh, <laughs> I know, there you go. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last ones worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And so the first laborers, after witnessing the generosity bestowed on the last ones, they understandably begin to imagine they might be getting more. We agreed to this at the beginning of the day, but look what these guys got. We might be getting more. This is looking good. This is looking better even than we had thought at the beginning of the day. And presumably, according to the parable, presumably the 3 p.m. group came next and they got a denarius. And then the noon group came and they got a denarius. And then the 9 a.m. group came and they got a denarius. And by that time, it had become clear that they would only get a denarius, what they had agreed to. 
At the beginning of the day, a denarius sounded like good money. But if we had known what you were going to do, if we, were, if we had known you were going to do this, we worked 11 hours more than the ones who came last. But they received what we had originally agreed to. And the text says that they grumble at grace. They grumble at it. They might have um, grumbled to the head of the house, but there's two things that happen here. They, have a, they grumble to the head of the house, but their envy is directed towards their peers. Their envy is directed towards their peers. Their complaint is rooted in comparison. They, the last ones, worked only one hour in the afternoon, and you made, and you made them equal to us. We've worked hard at our reputation. We've worked hard to be the first ones hired. We've worked hard to, to be strong workers and to get a reputation for being strong workers. You've made them equal to us. We started the project. We finished it. We bore the burden of the day, particularly the heat. And if you've been in the heat in Israel before, you know it's hot. We bore that. And they make sure they say that. Plus, these last ones, they weren't the strongest workers. They couldn't even get work for the day. They're the unworthy ones, passed on for the strong and reliable workers. You made them equal to us. The implication is we are better than them. And God's grace disturbs them. <sighs> their envy is directed towards their peers, but their real beef is with the owner of the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard makes it clear what's going on in their hearts as he speaks to them. And when he asks in the end of the parable to the grumbling worker, um, and it's the quote on, your, on, your, um, on the, uh, the handout this morning, um, are you envious because I'm generous? It's an interesting phrase. In, in, the, um, in, the, in the original Greek, it's an idiom. And um, Jesus asks, uh, is your eye evil because I am good? And it's a reference to the ancient world, the evil eye. The evil eye. When you give someone the evil eye in the ancient world, it's the eye of envy. It's the eye of envy. Now, here's jealousy and envy, very similar. Jealousy, and, and this is a little bit of a distinction. Jealousy is the idea of wanting what someone else has, okay? Envy is the idea of not only wanting what that person has, but not wanting them to have it, okay? And then doing whatever is necessary to make sure they don't get it or they don't retain it. So, for example, um, jealousy, uh, it says that Cain killed Abel out of envy. Cain wants the favor of God. Abel has it, and so Cain doesn't want Abel to have it, so Cain kills him. It says in the New Testament that Jesus, Pilate, the Roman governor, says that Jesus, the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus and hand him over out of envy. That is, that the Jewish leaders want the influence that Jesus has, they don't want him to have it, and so what they do is they kill him. Both of these are a little drastic. They end in murder. Actually, in the New Testament, what envy is usually connected with is slander. So someone you know buys a house. You want that house. That's jealousy. 
Someone you know buys a house, you want that house, you begin to think of all the reasons they should not have that house, and then you start talking about all those reasons why that person ought not have that house. That's slander. So that's envy that leads to slander. Someone has a job that you like, that you want, that's jealousy. Someone has a job you want, that you like, you begin to think about all the reasons why they should not have that opportunity, that's envy. You begin to talk bad about that person or how they do not have the qualifications, that's slander. We could go on and on, a new relationship. And the idea of envy, envy is this kind of internal darkness that begins to work its way out into slander. And we see it in the parable. They want the denarius. They're getting a denarius, actually, but they don't want that other person to have it. And so what do they do? They complain. They verbalize the internal darkness of envy. The evil eye works its way out into their mouth and into their relationships. Now, um, whenever I preach on a passage, God seems to illumine things in my own heart. So my own heart of darkness will put on display. Um, I had an interesting experience of envy this week in my own heart. Um, Kelly, my wife, mentioned this book that she was that had been recommended to her and these two authors, and I and I just and look. You know, when you go to seminary, you get a PhD. Like you just feel free to spout off about anything, right? Right? Again, okay. Give us a little grace on that too, okay? Um, and I just started spouting off about ah, so and so. They, you know, they only got what they got because of their last name. Da 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 da. da. I just and I was I was I was on a roll. I mean, I was on a roll, and it was later that day, later that day, um, God brought it to my attention that that was envy. That was straight up envy. It was envy. It was a darkness in my own soul that I not only felt, and I realized that I, there's been so many times I felt it and not verbalized it out, that darkness is there. But on this occasion, I, I articulated it out, and I slandered. And when I realized that, one, I had to swallow my pride a little bit. I went back to Kelly, and I said, look, I said this stuff earlier in the day, and um, that was envy. I mean, that was straight envy, and it is dark. It was dark. And, and I apologized to her, um, and, and I noted and confessed to God that that is envy. And so there, you get to see a little bit behind the kimono this morning. Um, but before, but it, sorry, I don't want to, but here, here's the deal. Uh, I want us to understand that sometimes this darkness, think about your own profession, your own world, your own area of desires, of wants, your own place where you want to thrive, you want to grow, where you want to get opportunities. And as, as a child of God, as someone who has experienced the grace of God and has experienced the grace of opportunity, to ask the question, what is our response when God pours out his grace and his opportunity and his blessing on someone that we are a rival with? Someone gives opportunity, promotion to someone who is our enemy. And asks the simple question, am I envious because God is generous? 
and to ask a real question, a real question about the darkness that might even be lurking in our own soul. What do we do with surprises at the 11th hour that are directed towards others? When we are hoping beyond hope, they're they going to be for us. Our envy might be directed at our peers, but our beef is with God. What's the deal, God? And, and you know what? The, the beautiful thing about, there's a, there's a couple beautiful things about this. When you read the Psalms, there, the Psalm, what's, your, what's the deal, God? Like that phrase, even though it's not in the Psalms, that, that sentiment is in the Psalms everywhere. How long, O Lord? Where have you gone, O Lord? Listen to me, God. These are, God actually invites us to articulate this to him, not to our wives or our spouses or other people to slander, but to articulate it to him. If there's one person who can take our articulated envy, it is God. And it's interesting that he actually invites us to do this. The Psalms bear witness of this, but when we think about this, uh, when we think about this parable, and you look at what, what he says, look in verse 13. As they grumble to him, he says, he replies to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for, what, for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? Here's the first note in this. And this is strange. This is counterintuitive. The owner of the vineyard does not say, I mean, look, the owner of the vineyard owns the vineyard, and he's got a couple grand on hand to pay all the workers. I mean, you think by the end of the day, how many workers has he hired? At 130 bucks a pop? I mean, if he's got, he's got, he's got thousands of dollars on hand to pay his workers. And one of these workers grumbles to him, you would expect, hey, worker. But he doesn't call him, hey, worker. He says, friend, he actually treats the worker as a peer. That, that is a note of grace. The grumbling worker, the owner of the vineyard says, hey, well, let's talk. When in the ancient world, it would be like, look, take what's yours and get out of here or worse is going to happen to you. There's not a note of judgment in this parable. It's actually a note of conversation like, okay, let me explain myself. I don't owe it to you to explain you anything, but let me simply explain myself, friend. He doesn't snap back. The man who can pay out 20, 25, 30 denarii of what's on hand is not obligated to a day laborer to listen to his questioning of his generosity. He also says, did I wrong you? If we think objectively about the people who were hired at the beginning of the day, they actually did less work than they were contracted for. Because if at the beginning of the day they were contracted to do the whole project and then the, the owner keeps bringing in more workers, that's a lesser workload of, for the people that were hired early. So it's actually a better deal along the way. So did I wrong you? What's interesting in this and you don't see it as much in the, in the English translation, but the first hired workers speak out in one singular representative voice and they paint with a plural brush. We who were hired first are better than they who were hired at the 11th hour. When the owner of the vineyard talks to them, he says this. He says, look at that man there. 
He actually says, if I want to give to that man, not plural, not those people, but that man there, he actually invites this group, this, this one person who, who grumbles to him to say, I don't want you to look at all of them. I want you to look at that one person right there. I want you to look at him. At five o'clock, that man had nothing to take home to his family. Nothing. I want you to look at him. And I want you to see him. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to go home and he's going to have a story to tell about a very generous vineyard owner. Do not rob that man of that story. Because you know what? If you rob that man of that story, you rob me. You rob me of my generosity, my reputation. I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not unfair. I am a generous man. Look at my vineyard. You worked good work today. Good work Take your pay and go home. It's good work, good job. Thank you, I'd hire you again. That's wonderful work. But look at that man. If I want to be generous and I want that man to go home and tell a story of generosity, that is about me. Don't rob me. Don't rob me of my reputation. And as we think about this with God and we think about our own response to God's grace, not, all, not just in our lives but in other people's lives, and if we, and it is, I don't want to come down because it's, it is a characteristic tension living in God's kingdom. If we know who God is, we know that God is generous and we know that God is going to give his grace to people we don't think he ought to give it to. We know it. That's why we're asked to forgive. That's why we're asked to love our enemies because we know it. And it is a characteristic tension of those who are in the kingdom of God. And I just, I, this morning, I just want to start a conversation about that tension. And to say, if you're experiencing that tension, God wants to come alongside you and he wants to say, friend, I mean, really what he says, son, daughter, this is about my generosity. I want my glory. I want my glory to be heard everywhere. Don't begrudge my generosity. If I want to bring people on their deathbed to faith in me, and I want that story to go out, that's about my glory. If I want, if I want your story to be that you have loved Jesus for as long as you could ever remember, and you've never faltered, then that is about my glory too. And I want that to go out to the ends of the earth as well. But these stories of my grace and my generosity, I want them to go out as far as they can. I want people to hear about them because I want to be known as the gracious God of this universe who loves his people and pours out his love to the last person. So I think it just deserves some, where are we at in this parable? Do you feel like the last person that God has bestowed grace on? Wonderful. Do you sometimes begrudge the grace? Do you have some envy? God wants to have that conversation. Not in a judgmental way, but simply as a way, this is the way it's going to be, everybody. This is the way it's going to be, friend. Because this, this is who I am. You know who I love in this parable? You know who I want to be in this parable? I want to be the foreman. When the owner of the vineyard, it's time to pay, he goes to his foreman, he says, pay them the wage. The foreman doesn't even, he doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't even stop. It's like he knows the owner of the vineyard so well 
that he's like, yes, it's time and I get to do this. I get to be the one who hands them this coin and I get to be the one who sees the look on their face. I get to be the one. I get to be the one and I get to enter into the joy of my master. I want to enter in. And so as we think about this, and as I think about this, God, make me like the foreman, someone who just wants to enter in to the joy of your generosity, whoever might receive it, and have an open heart to whatever you're doing to my rivals, to my enemies, however you might be working, open my heart to love your grace, not just on me, but on those who I don't think deserve it. Make me like the foreman. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we come on the one hand, we have, if we're here and we are worshiping you and loving you, we have experienced your grace. You have knocked the breath out of us with your grace at some point in our lives. And as we think back to that time, that season where you did that, we thank you. But Father, if we're here, we've probably experienced also some degree of envy. Seeing your grace, your blessing flow out on someone that maybe is a rival of ours. Someone who got a promotion that we wanted. Someone who got a job that we wanted. Someone who wrote a book that we wanted to write. Someone who, someone who got the girl that we didn't get. Someone who got the guy that we didn't get. And maybe, God, that's just been an internal darkness, but maybe that's also worked its way out to slander or worse, that we've done things that we um, have tried to sabotage. And we offer that up to you, Father. We offer that up and say, God, forgive us. But we also pray, God, illumine the darkness, the darkness of the evil eye of envy and move us, transform our hearts, grab our hearts, move us to be the people who want to deliver your joy to whoever it might be. Help us to get a heart, your heart of the God who runs after the disqualified, running, grabbing, taking, transforming. We pray, Father, move in our hearts to love you and to love anyone that you pour out your blessings on. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.